0: Our scripture reading this morning is Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 29, found on page 1009 of your pew Bible. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day to be together to worship you, and we thank you for uh, beautiful singing, and and just uh, we ask that you would take this word, apply it to our hearts, open our hearts and our minds that we would receive it, Father. And be with sky as he delivers the message, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they cannot endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The word of God for the people of God.
1: robin knew she had children's message and she asked me what my sermon was on what the text was so she could maybe incorporate that i told her our god is a consuming fire she didn't find any children's messages for that she was looking at the catechism um i couldn't remember offhand which one we were covering but i guess uh the wrath of god is uh another topic so we'll see what your uh, your kids come back with um So
0: I've been wanting to say something uh,
1: uh, about the catechism questions with the kids. We understand uh, your children do not understand transgression and wrath and outward means of grace and sanctification, but they learn at some point. The idea is that they're exposed to it; they're getting some concepts. And the idea of catechism is you, you introduce vocabulary that they grow into. So everything's not on something um, we expect them to come back and be little theologians. But uh, we, we we're setting a foundation. They're just kind of hearing these words and knowing them. And um, um, you have sharp kids. Don't don't underestimate what they they can know. Um, so. Uh, That said, let's get into Hebrews chapter 12 where the big theme of Hebrews is there's a a body of believers who are facing the difficulty of following Christ in a culture that is opposed to it and in a a situation where they can't see what's um, uh, uh, an image of their God or a likeness of things that is leading them. Um, And they're facing pressures of many folks around them saying, this is where true salvation is, or this is how you're going to fit in with the the society. And so the temptation for them is to turn away from Jesus. And so all of this is a warning reminding them Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus' covenant is greater than the old covenant. And all of these things to remind them, don't turn away. Hold fast because a faith that saves is a faith that continues, that faith that perseveres. Therefore, don't turn away. And we're kind of getting this culmination of this as we're closing up the book. And it is good for us to hear it because we too are surrounded by a culture and a society that tells us if you want real joy, you're going to turn away and pursue other things. If you want real success, this is the way to do it. If you really want to be accepted, come over here. Telling us that if we give up on Christ and follow the ways of the world, that way is real security, that way is our true identity, that way is the real us. And so here is a reminder. And it brings us um, to where he's making a a kind of a summary contrast between the old ways and the new for any way, anyone who would be tempted to turn away. For you have not come to that which may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of trumpet and the voice of the words that made the ears beg that no further messages be spoken to them. So it's contrasting... The, the, the giving of the covenant in Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai. Um, there, God met the people. His voice was heard. There was a cloud. There was thunder. There was lightning. There was um, the warning to not touch the mountain um, lest God's wrath strikes out. And the people hearing God's word says, we don't want to hear God. Moses, go on our behalf. Moses, be a mediator, come back and tell us what God says. Give us his law.
0: And Moses himself
1: is afraid. Moses himself trembles in fear. And the contrast to that is rather than Mount Sinai, where the law was given, is Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable angels and festal gatherings. The assembly, and that word there is the church, the church of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and Jesus a mediator of a new covenant. And all of of this has been fulfilled in Jesus. He is greater. He is more. And here is the contrast, and part of what the contrast he's making is not only the the threat of a consuming fire versus the festal gathering of angels in the midst of God's family feasting and rejoicing. But it's also a contrast between what can be seen and what is unseen, the visible and the invisible, the material and the spiritual. That's just the idea. You didn't come to what can be touched, what can be seen. This is their temptation, is to leave from where we're hearing the word and, and we're, we're praising uh, Jesus who is himself in the Holy of Holies, the true Holy of Holies in heaven, not in a location on earth, not something that can be seen. And this might strike us as inconsequential or strange, but, but, but here's the thing. Most of the world, most of history, most people have understood the truth that the invisible is more real and more important than the visible. G.K. Chesterton was um, a Christian writer um, early 20th century. He he said the great heresy um, of humanity is to believe. That the trees make the wind blow.
0: That's not exactly the way he
1: worded it. He was a really good writer, and it sounded really clever when he said it. But here, here's the image he gives The image he gives is as you were driving out this morning, maybe you saw winds, uh, tree limbs blowing in the wind. And his point was almost all of history has understood that the invisible impacts the visible. The reason the, wind, the the tree is moving is because the wind is blowing and the limbs are moving in response to what we cannot see. But we now believe that everything is only material, that if I can't see it, I don't believe it. If it, I can't touch it, it doesn't really exist, that everything that came into being came into being just because there is only matter and matter formed and formed life and intelligence and just random chaos brought together all that is, and there's nothing greater than the physical reality. The, the modern world of materialism and, and believing the only real world is what can be felt and seen and touched is believing that the wind blows because the tree is moving. That is, your emotions and your feelings are all just chemicals and things going on in your body rather than spiritual reality, a mental life. And that, that might be hard for us, but most people understood that the world moves because of invisible reality. Uh, God is at work in us, guiding history. Our own lives are being guided by spiritual realities that we can't see, and they are more real. Not that this is illusion. Not that this is not real. This is real stuff. Jesus became a body. It's real. And yet, here, here's, here's kind of the point. You are so much more than what can be seen. Aren't you? I mean, I, I tried in Mount Carmel to have people look at each other, and um, everyone was locked on straight front. Nobody. But but if you were to look at one another, you're not seeing a fraction of who that person is, right? I mean, I, I look at an old gray-haired guy in the mirror, and I I know that's not me, right? I mean, who who you are is so much more than what can be seen. Your past, your experiences, your thoughts, your imagination, your things you have known, your relationships, your imagination, your prayer life, the, the... The things you've done, the things you've overcome, the things you've experienced, all of those are part of who you are and part of who you have been and part of who you will be is all wrapped up into one person so that who you are is so much more than what's sitting in that pew. What's sitting in that pew is absolutely real, but it's partial. And what is more real and more fully us is the part nobody can see. And that is true of all creation. What is not seen is more real than what is seen because it's fuller. And most most importantly, because there's spiritual realities. And so the contrast he's drawing is between what can be seen, which is less than the spiritual realities we have in Christ, because what we have in Christ is Jesus is in heaven itself, not on an earthly temple. Jesus is the fullness of the divine. He is the true mediator. He is the greater one. And so his point is, in verse 25, do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven that is, if, if this earthly administration of God's covenant was one that left people without excuse, so that if they turned away and they rejected the sacrificial system, if they turned away from the covenant of Moses, if they didn't obey, then they were without hope. How much more we who have heard God's grace given to us in Jesus Christ the very word spoken itself. He's he's referring back to the first chapter where he talked about in many ways God has spoken to us through angels and prophets, but now he's spoken to us in the Son. And if we've rejected the prophets, earthly prophets, how much more if we have rejected the very word of God in Jesus Christ, what hope could we possibly have? Do not reject him. Don't turn away from the hope that he gives us. And what a blessed hope it is. For it is the blood of the new covenant that speaks a better word than the word of the blood of Abel. And you might be thinking, "What is this talking about?" Well, when the old covenant was administered, blood was sprinkled on the people in making the covenant. They say we're going to obey, and blood sprinkled, and they're set apart. And now you, who have been baptized in Christ, trusting in Him, have been sprinkled with the cleansing blood of Jesus, and His blood. It's a better blood because he's saying the blood of Abel, the blood of the first one who was murdered, his blood is spilled out and God goes to Cain and says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the earth for justice. And very much the old covenant calls for justice, for obedience, for following. And what greater hope we have in the blood of Jesus because a better word is spoken. The blood is shed at the foot of the cross. And from the earth, it doesn't cry out for justice. But what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Jesus' blood that has sprinkled you is blood that cries out for mercy, for grace. Why would you reject that to go back to, give me justice, give me law, give me what I deserve. Do not reject. At the time his voice shook, Um, his promise, yet once more shall shake, and not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that as things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. This is what he's telling us, is here's this thing... Don't reject this because there is a final judgment. There is a final day of the Lord that is to come. Don't reject the better covenant. Don't reject the blood that cries out for mercy because God is going to judge. There is a judgment that is to come, and what He's talking about here is this idea that at Sinai, when they received the law, the world shook. There was an earthquake. I understand there was an earthquake earlier this week. Who felt it? Somebody claimed they did. Oh, y'all weren't. out y'all were all gone. So,
0: no, no one was here to feel it. Uh, never mind.
1: There was. Some, you know, we 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 don't get massive earthquakes here. I heard a few years ago we had one that tipped over a lawn chair in Ripley. I'm not sure if that's true or one of those urban legends. But you know, but but even the light ones we get, if you feel it, they're unsettling, right? What ain't supposed to move starts moving, and that's that. And so, that's the idea. um, Apart from the devastation that those who experience big earthquakes, and you've seen that, what he's saying is that took place of an earth shaking. But what is to come is that the earth and the heavens will shake. And he's quoting a passage from Haggai, the prophet, who says, Yet once more, and I will shake the heavens and the earth. And what he's pointing to here is that, yeah, there's going to be earthquakes, but there's going to come a time when everything, all of creation, what can be seen, heaven and earth, are going to be shaken. And it's not something that is a one time, and then there's going to be another time, and then there's another time. It is a final, yet once more. That's, that's the phrase he's pointing us to. Yet once more, there is a final day of reckoning. And so what he's telling us is, the this this shaking is coming, and that is that the things that are temporary, the things that are created, are going to be cast off. I've I'm, I'm, I'm tried to think of a better image, but sometimes mundane images are perfectly fine. I come in from being in the mud, um, and what do I do with my shoes? I take them, I shake them, I bang them, I slam them, and hopefully everything that is not shoe comes off the shoe, right? That's the idea of a cleansing that comes from a shaking that casts away everything else. Come up with a better illustration, give it to me, I'll use it next time. But the idea is that what, can, what is going to remain is what's eternal, what has a firm foundation, and everything else is going to be done away with so that only what stands remains. And so we're saying cling to what cannot be shaken. Don't pursue the things that are going to be cast away in the judgment, things that are temporary, things that fade away, things that don't last things that we sang about in our second hymn, things that we we try to find our identity and our hope and our safety and our joy and all of these things that will not last cling to what is going to... A good examination of our hearts is to ask, what are we clinging to that will be shaken? I, I think of things... When I was younger that I thought would last, that I thought would be secure. I thought of people I thought I could trust. I thought of things I would pursue and I would put energy and effort into there that, that it would bring happiness or joy.
0: The things in your life you look at and you think, I'm putting so much in here hoping, but I know it's going to be shaken. A really good way to look at that is just look back over your calendar how much of my time is pursuing the things that are being
1: cast away and shaken versus how much of my time is being spent on things that will last forever, the things that are eternal? How much of my money and my resources am I putting into things that are going to be cast aside, that it's going to rust, it's going to fall away, it's like the grass, of the summer flowers, it's going to just fade? versus how much is going to last into eternity. Uh, You can look at so many things like that. Not that we don't enjoy God's good gifts. Not that we're supposed to say, um, I I can't take the things God gives me or spend any time enjoying His creation and the blessings of family. But how much are we actually pursuing things that are going to last versus things that will not? And how much do we invest in things that are unshakable, Versus cling to, because somebody said, where your treasurer, there's your heart will be. And where we're putting our investing our time and our resources and our energies and our imagination, how much is things that are gonna be shaken? Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Let us cling to that which cannot be shaken. Let us also be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I love this. He's saying. You know, it's difficult following Christ. It's difficult to pursue Him, to fight against sin, to, do, to, to restrain from doing things that others are doing, to, to look weird uh, with everybody else um, doing things that seem, you know, they seem normal and they're looking at us who worship Him as something weird. And He's not saying, you know, just, just muscle through it, endure the slog. I mean, he, He's saying do it with gratitude, that we receive this kingdom with gratitude, that all that we do, it's not without joy. It's that we rejoice in, we get to worship and we get to pursue and we get to love one who is unshakable and his kingdom will have no end.
0: And so, are we
1: doing this with gratitude? Are we receiving these gifts with gratitude? Are we following Christ with gratitude that I get to serve him? I get to suffer for him. I get to look weird for him. I get to do these things. And finally, that we offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all, for our God is a consuming fire. uh, First off, it is worship, but worship trains us for giving our whole life as worship, our our whole life before Him, but especially as we gather, is to be in reverence and all. Do we worship with reverence and all? All right, I, I... I get lots of videos of goofy worship. One of the more goofier things I've seen lately is um, this this reenactment of superheroes, I don't know, Loki and Captain, uh, they got Captain America, and he's on a cross, and he's singing, I get knocked down, I get up again, as though it's the resurrection. And I'm just, if anything, I look at this, it's not reverence at all. And so often we think of worship in a way that certainly we want to welcome people who are not familiar, We want to welcome people who don't know Christ. but do we remember that we're not coming in here to entertain ourselves? Always pause for an amen. We're not coming in here to, to just kind of get our emotions stirred up. We're coming in here because we are bowing down before a consuming fire who has given us mercy and we recognize that we come to him, the only way we can come to one who is reverence and all, there's a sense in which application is just getting our imagination right. It's not a list of to-do things. And the most powerful application is if we get an understanding of who God is, a consuming fire, one who you don't trifle with, you don't play with, one who deserves our reverence and our all. Those point to what is in the Old Testament called fear of the Lord. It is appropriate that we have a fear of the Lord, that we fear him. But we fear him kind of in the way that the kids will go to the zoo and they're going to see lions. And there's always a sense of awe when you see one of those. That awe is an attraction. There's fear, but it's still an attraction. But it's going to be a respect. You're going to be really grateful for that, that wall that keeps you and the, the line of apart there's a respect. You don't just approach the line on your terms. You respect the line. And it's the same sense with God. We understand He is powerful. He is mighty. He has created all things. And we come before Him with reverence and all. And if we just get our imagination to understand a God who deserves our reverence and all, our lives play out appropriately. Would you please stand as we say what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed?